Now it's time for us to get into the ministry of the Word of God. Let's all pray and commit ourselves, open our hearts before God to receive the truth from the Word of God. Okay, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love your presence. We love everything about you, Lord. But also, just as much we love your truth. You promise that your Spirit will reveal to us, will lead us into all the truth. The truth that is contained in the Word of God, in the Scripture. Now, as we go to, as we about to read the Word of God, we ask you, as you open our hearts, Holy Spirit, guide us, open our eyes to the truth. Yes, Lord, because it is the only thing that will change us, will transform us. Bless your people, Father, and also I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon me, so I will deliver with accuracy and clarity the truth that is contained in the Scripture. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's all turn to Revelation chapter 12. Still in Revelation, Revelation chapter 12. We're going to start from verse 1. This is, this is an interesting one. Let's read Revelation 12 verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. So that was the first sign and the second sign now. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head, on, on the seven heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore the, her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to the male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled to the wilderness where she was placed in a place where she uh, was where that is prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days which is four and a half years and in verse 7 now war arose in heaven Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now! The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. And the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And this is the punchline, verse 11. And they conquered him or overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and the sea, 
For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two, uh, two signs of the uh, two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly to fly from the servant into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half times so three and a half years pretty much verse 15 the servant poured water like river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood but the earth came to help the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. Then the dragon, the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus and stood on the sand of the sea. So he stood on the sand of the sea. It's a, it's a very interesting, uh, interesting uh, passage there. Now, once again, we need to be reminded that it is important to, that to understand the book of Revelation. We need to see that the book of Revelation presents the battle between the church at the time of his being written, between the church and the Roman Empire, with the ultimate end in, in the, the, the way it is presented, the ultimate, ultimate end as the backdrop, so as to give hope to the readers at that time. All right? Now, here's the thing. Chapter 12 that we just read is the beginning of the second half of the whole book of Revelation. And it is viewed by many as probably one of, or if not the most complex and central section of the book. So we're just gonna we're gonna just go through it. I'm not gonna try to teach uh, too many details. We're gonna have discussion next week on on this just to explain some things. But I'm just gonna give a brief, just simple explanation of of this what we just read. Okay. Now, this chapter, it gives the theological perspective and the overall context of the spiritual reality as manifested in the world events, which is the battle between the state or the empire and the church. Now, as a prophet, John sees that this manifestation of, you know, the manifestation of the spiritual reality as something that begins with the war in heaven between God and his Christ against Satan. So that's pretty much the layout of, of uh, chapter 12. That's where it begins. Everything that happens in the world, it begins right here. How John describes it in chapter 12 here, the one that we just read. Okay, so the from here, pretty much from chapter this chapter, all the way to chapter 20, this is the layout of, of, of the structure of, of the, the book, okay? The rest of the book. 
So the battle begins with Satan being thrown down from heaven, from chapter 12, verse 1 to 17. And then the next thing is, we will see in chapter 13, verse 1 to 18, the beast and the false prophets. They seem to, it, it's given the picture that they conquer, okay? They conquer. And then chapter 17, verse 1 to 12, you see the whore rides on the beast. And then from there, the battle sort of seems like the tide is turning. In chapter 17, verse 13 to 18, the whore then is destroyed by the beast. And then by the time we arrive at chapter 19, the beast and the false prophet are conquered. Before that, they, 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 they were conquering, and now the, the, the tide turns. Now they are conquered by, by, the, by the time we arrive at chapter 19. And then chapter 20 is where Satan is thrown from earth into the abyss and the lake of fire. So you can see the progression. He, he was thrown from heaven to earth, and then by chapter 20, then the he was he is thrown into the abyss and the lake of fire so uh, then by the time we get to the, the following chapter after chapter 20 21 which is 21 chapter 21 we will be presented with the new heaven and the new earth where john wrote then i saw the new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That we'll talk about that later. Okay, let's go back to the passage. Let's talk about the passage. Like I said, this is, this is a, a complicated passage, but we will, we will carefully, we'll try to be simple, but at the same time, we'll be careful in how we break this down. First, we need to identify some of the players in this passage, okay? We have the woman, the male child, and the dragon, the red dragon. This is not the dragon like the Bruce Lee movie, Enter the Dragon. No, this is Satan himself, okay? So the woman, let's just talk about the woman. Okay, to, to identify the woman, we need to read verse 4, where she is described as one who gives birth to a son okay now it says here in uh, verse 4 it says that she gave birth to a male child other translation i think king james uh, trans translated as as a man child but pretty much actually the greek word precisely says it's a male child okay uh, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron now, let's talk about this male child. Who is this male child? The statement of that, of that about, about the male child refers to only to one person, which is what was promised previously in, in the Old Testament is pretty much word for word. Uh, the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 2, verse 7, describes this male child, this young man, male child, which is a messianic promise concerning Jesus Christ. Let me read what, what it says in, um, in uh, 
Psalm chapter 2 verse 7. He said, I will tell you, I will tell you a decree. And listen to this. It says, the Lord says to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter vessel. So pretty much the way John describes in the book of Revelation, this male child is none other than Jesus himself. As a matter of fact, now the scripture that uh, that describes this is uh, Daniel chapter 7 verse 13, where Daniel said, saw in a vision, he said, I saw in the night vision and behold, with, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, male child, son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom and a kingdom that all nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. There are many other, other, other scriptures concerning that. So it's obvious the male child is none other than Jesus himself. So, now we, we decide, okay, if that is Jesus, who is this woman? First, some people would say it's Mary, but it's not Mary. Because this cannot be Mary because there's no mention of Mary in any of the passage or any of the chapters in the book of Revelation. So we can cut her out. Okay? And uh, some people might, would say, maybe it's about Eve, because the scripture, you know, where in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where it says, God says, I will put an enmity between your offspring, and this is God, when Eve, Adam and Eve fell into, into sin, and then, and then one, of the, one of the promises Jesus, uh, God said to, to Eve is that, I will put enmity between your offspring speaking to, to Satan, to the serpent and her offspring and he shall uh, the, the, the serpent will bruise his heel but he will cross his head so that's Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 so some people will interpret maybe that, that's speaking about Eve while that is true that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of what God spoke in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. However, Eve was not the one who was chased into the wilderness. Okay, so we can count her out. Now, the, the last one is with many, many evangelicals and Protestants would believe that he, the male child is the people of God. Okay? And uh, the people of God in the Old Testament, the people of God is Israel. And in the New Testament, the people of God is the true Israel and the church, people who are faithful to God. Okay? Now, seeing from John's perspective, okay, let's see from John's perspective. He who is well equipped with the Old Testament scriptures, it is undeniable that the woman represents God's people or Israel from which came Jesus. Out of Israel came Jesus. So that's the picture. And the whole of biblical theology presents the church 
as the faithful remnant of Israel. Now, here's two things that we need to remember to, to, to notice is this. The description of the woman in verse uh, 14, that and but he talks about she was given two wings of great eagle in uh, verse 14 as she was escape, escaping to the wilderness. Okay, verse 14 says she was given two wings of great eagles. That actually is a description of Israel coming, coming out of Egypt. So it is a description of God's people being saved. Exodus chapter 19 verse 4 where God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So it's a description how God saved his people. And the second point is, one of the way, one of the many relevant passages that clearly describes Israel as a woman in labor, among many passages, but what is very clear is Isaiah chapter 66, verse 7 to 8. One of the statements is this, where it says about Israel, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. So the ancient Israel, the promise of them, and God promised Messiah to them, Israel was described as, as, a, as a woman in labor, in pain, uh, ready to give birth to a son. So anyway, I hope that that, that is enough. I mean, I can say, give you many scriptures, but I think... I think it's enough to know that it is, this woman is about the people of God, the church, Israel, you know, the people of God. So let's go to the plot here. This is where, where it's exciting. The plot begins with two scenes that we read before in verse 1 and 2 and in verse 3. It begins with two scenes that John saw as signs, okay? The woman and the dragon in Revelation, in verse 1, he said, A great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her crown, or a crown of 12 stars. Some people interpret that as uh, 12 tribes of Israel, whatever. We, we won't focus on that. She was pregnant and was carrying out, uh, crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Okay, that's the sign of a woman. And then he turned around and he saw another sign, and that is the falling of Satan himself. Lastly, read it quickly again. And another sign appeared in heaven. Great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His, his tail, now I want to notice this, I'm going to slow down a bit. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven. We, I'm going to give a little bit of interpretation on that in a minute. A star, uh, seven stars of heaven and cast them uh, to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled to the wilderness. We've read it before. Now, let me explain here. First, it is widely believed that the way Satan was to devour Jesus was not just at the birth of Jesus where 
he wanted to kill Jesus. But more than that is that he did it at the time also as a temptation. He wanted to destroy Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. Because in, in Matthew, uh, in bo both Matthew and Luke, when you read the temptation of Jesus, Satan tried to destroy Jesus to actually destroy his mission. Because he was promised to inherit the earth. But the temptation that Satan gave to Jesus was, hey, listen, if you want to inherit the earth, in the temptation, exactly word for word, he said, you bow to me, worship me, and I will give you all the nations. And of course, Jesus didn't, have, didn't want to have any, anything to do with that because he said, it is written, you should only worship God. Okay? What is interesting, though, it is not just in the time of temptation that in, in, in Matthew, you know, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew 4 and Luke 4, where Jesus is tempted in this way, but even in the time of his cruci crucifixion, that <laughs> Jesus was also tempted. When he was on the cross, people, you know, the, the religious leaders came to him like, hey, listen, if you're son of God, save yourself. Come down from the cross. Prove yourself to be the son of God. Interesting, hey? If you are the Messiah, prove it. That's pretty much the same as when Satan tempted him. All right? Because God said, you are my son, and I am pleased with you. Satan said, if you are the son of God, prove it. And Jesus, throughout his ministry, he declared himself as the son of God. So the same temptation happened. Prove it. So it's almost like Satan, every way possible, tried to, to destroy him and his mission. And it says in verse 5, he was caught up to God and to his throne. Obviously, it speaks of the resurrection. And some people who in, I know who interpret the, the son as, as the church and believe that, and they build the doctrine of uh, the teaching of, of uh, rapture, that because he says he was caught up to God. No, this is speaking of resurrection because this, this same word is also used by Paul in uh, Thessalonians chapter chapter First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter four verse seventeen, where Paul talked about believers when Jesus came the second time, we will be changed in a moment and we will be caught up. You know, like you know, we will be taken. They're speaking of the second resurrection. Okay, so not the rapture. So the verse verse six it says that the woman fled to the wilderness. Now. As you read, even the time, the three and a half years or 1,260 days, it's a symbolic language of, of describing the time that we are living now as a church. So uh, that's where the church is at now, in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, the New Testament uh, writers like Paul would compare us, okay, if you read the first Corinthians, the church just like Israel in the wilderness. That's where we are now. 
Now, it is interesting because as I read this thing, uh, just structurally speaking, it was like watching a movie. You know, when we watch a movie, we, and then there was a, a scene, and then all of a sudden there's a flashback of what happened in the past, and you, and you it's like, oh, okay. I believe the next verse is almost like a, a flashback in uh, that John is taking us to a flashback. Now, some scholars believe that after presenting these two scenes, John then then gives his readers a flashback where it all began. Okay? Now, there are others who disagree, claiming that John was what John is, uh, is presenting in verse 7 and 9 is just the story of Jesus on the cross. Where it says here in, in chapter 12, verse 7, it says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that the ancient servant, who is called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the world, has he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So, uh, many uh, there are some scholars who actually don't see it like that. They, they see, no, that is the resurrection of Jesus. There's, there's, there's no, no, nothing to do with a, with, a, with a flashback. As I read this thing and I, and I, and I read further, I, I see that actually it is both flashback and, and, uh, and the presentation of Jesus' exalt, exaltation. What kind of flashback I'm talking about? Okay, Jewish tradition would present it like this. According to the Jewish tradition, we go back to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, where from Jewish tradition, it is, it is a presentation, this Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, is a presentation of Satan being cast out of heaven, okay, down to earth in the, they call it primeval time, in other words, the beginning of time, whenever that beginning of time was even probably before the world was created. And, uh, and the scripture in Isaiah goes like this, in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, where it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, or King James will translate it as, O Lucifer, or son of the dawn. Okay? I'll read it again. How you are fallen from heaven, O O day star, or son of the dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the, the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. So Lucifer wanted to exalt himself about God, but the result is he was thrown down. Now to me, that is the picture that was given 
that we read before about the war in heaven where Michael and, and, and his angels fighting against Satan and his angels and Satan lost that, that scripture that we read. Many uh, scholars would, would argue against it. They said, no, that's what speaking, you know, actually John was speaking about the resurrection of Jesus. But when I read after verse 9 that described that, that scene, I read verse 10 where it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, and the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down who accuses them day and night. Okay? The war in heaven between Michael and Satan is not what is, does not produce salvation for mankind. I believe where it says now salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God is because Christ alone won the, the victory. Yeah. Not Michael. I believe we have to make a distinction here. Yeah. It wasn't Michael. It was Jesus. That victory that create a total defeat of Satan was on the cross was a Michael as a matter of fact let's read about, about how Paul describes it in in, in, uh, in Colossians pretty much God won that victory that, bring, that brought complete defeat of Satan himself by nailing Jesus on the cross okay Let's read. It says here, Paul, Paul wrote th this one in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you, he said, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all from trespasses. Now listen to this. How did God do it? By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. Now listen, let's, 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 I'm going to read it very slowly. This, okay, this action, this victory, okay, it says, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross, nailing our dead to the cross, and listen to this, verse 15, he disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing them openly okay triumphing triumphing over them in him in Christ Jesus so uh, I believe this is my, my conviction now there, it, it's not going to change our salvation but I, I, this is my conviction that the war between Michael and the angels is not what produced the re resurrection of Jesus or the salvation for mankind. It was God nailing Jesus to the cross. That gives complete defeat over Satan. Satan was totally defeated. Now, in verse 5, that's how, you know, how it is de described in doesn't say all that, but it says Jesus was caught up to God in his throne. In other words, after his victory, he was resurrected because of his victory. Let's see 
the situation with God's people. Be, be, keep on reading. Now Jesus in heaven with God on the throne. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings, we read it before, just like Israel, going to the wilderness. And verse 15, it says, Serpent poured out water like river out of his mouth after the woman. So it's almost like that Exodus sort of image. And then, but the earth came and uh, to help the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon poured out from his mouth. And the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Okay? I believe the remaining faithful to the end of the age. The rest of the woman's offspring. Okay? So in other words, that's us to the end of the age. On those who keep the commandments of God and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand and on the sand of the sea. So verse 13 to 17 shows that, shows that where the church of Jesus is at now. Like that's where we are at now. Okay? It's like Israel in the wilderness. It shows that while we are free from, from the slavery of sin, we are still, the battle is not over yet. The, however, the wilderness is not our final destination. Okay? And verse 16 and 17 tells us that on the one hand, the dragon, Satan, will throw all that he has, okay, all he's got against us with ferocity, ferociously, <laughs> not because he's powerful, but because he's desperate. <laughs> yeah. Because it's the way John writes, because he knows his time is short. And yet, God, on the other hand, in verse 16 and 17, knows how to preserve his people. So, put it this way. For as long as we live in this earth, that's what's going to happen. Battle will always happen. And the devil will throw everything he's got at God's people, at us. I'm sure of that. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. I don't know all the battle, but I've been through some battles, both my wife and I. It's not because he's powerful, but because he's desperate. He's showing tantrum, if I can say it like that. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. We're still fighting the battle, Jesus sitting in, in heaven victoriously. But we have to remember... Jesus gained his victory. He gained victory over death through death. I'll say it again. This is, I think this is probably the greatest testimony and the greatest truth that we Christians need to take, need to get it. We need to get it, okay? Jesus 
conquered death through death. He conquered death by dying. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 says that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I think the lesson for me, for us to learn is like ha! another scripture that came to me as I Paul said, "For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain." <laughs> I love that. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Which means we as God's people, as Christians, like what is, what is there that we have to to to, to be afraid about. Awesome. Let's conclude this. Here's the punchline. Um, we're going to come to the punchline of the of the whole passage. So, reading from chapter, you know, Hebrews chapter eleven and chapter twelve, I see the picture how in chapter eleven. Like Nero and oh no, the the the, uh, the the inhabitants of the world of the earth rejoice because of the death of the Christians, and yet in Revelation chapter twelve, the inhabitants of heaven also rejoice because of the death of the faithful believers. In other words, our death caused the earth to rejoice, <laughs> but also heaven to rejoice, but for a different reason. The inhabitants of the earth rejoice because they think they have been, that we have been conquered. That's what they think. Yeah, we've conquered them. However, the inhabitants of heaven, they rejoice because, as in the case of the Lamb of God, we, the faithful believers, also conquer through death. Hello? Because it says here, this is the punchline of the whole if anything, of the whole of the book of Revelation. Write this down. Revelation chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It says here, And they, he's talking about the believers here, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, okay, because what Jesus did. But the word of their testimony what they declare, their witness. Remember, we've been talking about us being the witness. Why? Because they love not their lives even unto death. I think that's Revelation 12. Yeah, Revelation 12. What did I say? I said Revelation 12, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Revelation 12, verse 11. This is probably the punchline of the whole book of Revelation for us. That is relevant to the believers. Just as Jesus conquered death through death, so too the believers will gain victory over death through death, just like our 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 Lord. 
Therefore, listen to this in verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Why? Because the faithful believers know how to conquer Satan by loving not their lives, even unto death. And of course, he said, Woe to you, O earth and sea. The following thing is where the devil is frustrated and he's going to throw everything, you know, because he knows his time is short. Yeah. That's how the offspring, the rest of the offspring, and because it says in, 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 uh, in the end there where he's after the, the rest of the offspring, well, he's going to after us, but guess what? We're going to conquer him by not loving our lives even unto death. Can I have the measles, please? He is faithful. If our God is for us, who can be against us? Okay. This is going to affect how we pray. This is very important. This truth is very important. Now I believe we have authority over, over Satan and over, over uh, demonic forces and all that. But I think... As I was studying this thing, I think, as God's people, Satan has been thrown down. He's been defeated totally. I'm talking about open defeat, a complete bang. He's playing up, not because he's, he's got power, because he's desperate. He's doing everything he can. So here's the thing. How we pray. We're not getting all super spiritual about these things. We make declaration. Who we are. We are not loving our lives even unto death. We make declaration. Satan, you are defeated. This idea of Satan being the accuser. It goes all the way through the Old Testament. When you read the book of Job, he accused Job before God. And if you read Zechariah, it describes Satan as accusing. But here's the thing. It's almost like in the, in the court case situation, he's like the, the prosecutor. And put it this way, from what I read, prosecutor has no access to the chamber of the court in the heavenlies. He's been disqualified. So guess what? From now on, let's pray like we are the winners. We are the winners. And it says, when you read that verse 11, chapter 12, verse 11, it says, for they love not their lives and he's speaking about their witness their testimony living our lives the way we, we, we testify about God it's our lives while in, on earth those believers while on earth they were faithful unto death just like Smyrna in the book of Revelation chapter 2 
just get the promise. I will cause you to conquer. Rule with me with a rod of iron. Like, <laughs> so guess what? When we pray, we praise God. We're not going to be demon conscious, demon whatever focus. It's about the victory that God has given us. I was teaching before, now I'm preaching. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're going to change our, our prayer. We're going to be worship-centered. We'll focus on who God is, how great God is. There were, there were times, in, even in, in my life, where, or, and, you know, just a journey of Christians, and some Christians, they're very demon-conscious and like... No. He's done. He knows his time is short. So from now on, our prayer is about making declaration. God, your church will be built. Your people will triumph. Lord Jesus. I don't care whether the cabal, the whatever, you know, six, six, we're going to deal with the whole 666 in the next following weeks. We might need to talk more about this okay, in a discussion form with with Calvin and Joss and whoever but we're going to deal with the whole thing but here's the thing while the New Testament writers try to encourage us to look towards the Christ many Christians are so preoccupied with the Antichrist come on guys the Antichrist, the beast they're just the agents of Satan but Satan has no authority how much less will the agents, the beasts, and all that kind of crap? I'm sorry. But the way of, to our victory is like, like Paul said, whether I live or alive, or, or, whether I live or die, it's, I'm Christ. Doesn't matter. We love not our lives even unto death. God bless your people. Let the truth, this truth, Lord, burn in our hearts, Lord, in the hearts of the people. That we are victorious. Bless your people, Father, in Jesus' name.